0: Alright, well, good morning. Once again, as always, so good to see all of you. For those of you who join us online, we hope and pray that you are doing well. Glad you're with us as well. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting this morning, uh, we are making our way through the Old Testament prophets. And for the past several weeks, we've been examining God's messages to Israel. Israel being God's people, chosen, established, raised up by Him, To be a blessing to all nations. The expectation, the assumption that they would be faithful and devoted to him. However, as we've seen before, through much of their history, they just weren't. They were unfaithful, disobedient. And God decides that they and him, they need to have a chat. And hence the, the prophet's. And in light of Israel's unfaithfulness, God reminds them of the inherent consequences. He warns them of pending judgment in in wrath. But in light of God's faithfulness, he promises future blessings, blessings of comfort and renewal, restoration, salvation through a Messiah, through his spirit. Yet there is one caveat which we are going to, to look at today and our passage is going to come from the prophet Joel and there's not a whole lot that, that we know about Joel uh, based on his concern for, for Jerusalem Judah many assume he's from the southern kingdom served somewhere 500 600 BC uh, his book is, is pretty short which is good for for some of us but it kind of contains the, the breadth of everything we, we've covered so far The first half of the book is God warning Israel of the pending judgment. It's coming, the punishment, because of your unfaithfulness. And the second half of the book is the promises of future blessing and restoration. But right in the middle, which we're going to look at this morning, is God's invitation for Israel to respond. And what is implied in this, is that if Israel wants to experience the blessing, then this is the one thing they need to do. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. We'll have it up on the screen. You can keep it open there. We're going to go through it little by little. Verse 12, God says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart return to me and what god is telling israel is if you want to experience my blessings the fullness of my blessings, if you want to experience true and eternal comfort renewal restoration salvation transformation over there conrad Sorry, man. I just had to. I love you, man. <laughs> I saw Nancy cracking up, so then I was like, "Just it's like, why is she cracking up? Oh, that's why she's cracking up." Sorry, Kajans, I love you guys. Did it... <gasps> so God is saying if you want to experience the fullness of my comfort, renewal, transformation, salvation, then you need to return to me. And what's implied, obviously, clearly, is that for Israel, at some point, they had turned away, that they had gone astray, that they had rejected God, turned their backs on God. They had informed him that they don't want him to be their God. They didn't want to be his people. And they demonstrated that through through their unfaithfulness, through their disobedience. But God says, if at any point you do want a relationship with me, at any point you do want to return, you want me to be your God, you want to to be my people, then just just come back. And this is the the essence of the the biblical concept of repentance. Right? To repent means to, to to turn in this case, biblical repentance is to turn towards God to to seek after him. Right? God says, even now, return to me. And what he's saying is, regardless of how far you've gone astray, regardless of how many times you've turned your back on me, regardless of how many times you rejected me, regardless of your circumstances, your situation, at any point, and now is always as good as time as any, You can return to me. God then, through the prophet Joel, goes on to describe what repentance would look like for Israel in that time. And in this description, we get three aspects of what repentance would look like for us. So the first thing we see is that repentance involves an acknowledgement of sin. Repentance involves an acknowledgement of sin. Now, now this is probably stating something that's extremely obvious. But in order to return to God, we first need to recognize and acknowledge that we are moving away from God. A few months ago, Pastor Brandon and I I went down to Riverside to to mountain bike at one of our favorite trail sites uh, called Greer Ranch. And it was the first time that the two of us had gone there without somebody more knowledgeable about the layout. So early on, we're we're riding, and we're we're headed towards uh, the trail called was it Distortion, Distortion. We wanted to get to Distortion, and we're riding and we're just chatting like we normally do. When all of a sudden we see three other mountain bikers uh, coming our way, headed in the exact opposite direction. So we kind of you know get out of the way and uh, you know exchange good mornings. Uh, Most people mountain bike culture people are really nice. We're like, hey, good morning, have a fun ride. And as they're passing by, we kind of subtly ask, hey, do you guys know which way to distortion? And they're like, yeah, it's the opposite way that you're headed. <laughs> we're going there now, just come follow us. So, you know, we get off our bikes and we, we turn them around and we start going in the right direction. All right, now, this is obvious, but in order for us to, to turn around and head in the right direction, someone had to tell us that we were going in the the wrong direction. And when it comes to repentance and for Israel, in order for Israel to return to God, someone needs to inform them, they need to acknowledge that they have turned away from God. Hence, the prophets. Right? Israel knew God's commands. They knew his laws. They knew about their covenant. But God still sends the prophets to inform them as clearly as can be that they have turned away from God and were going astray. He says, I told you to not have idols. This is all the ways you are worshiping and serving idols. I told you to be just and fair. Here are all the ways you are being unjust and unfair. I told you to love me with all your heart. Here are all the ways you are going through the motions. And when you do those things, you are turning your back on me. You are rejecting me. And a healthy response for Israel that could lead to repentance, not necessarily would lead, but the only response that could lead to repentance would be Israel saying, God, you are absolutely right. What you say is true. We have turned our backs on you and we have gone astray. So the first thing we see is that repentance involves an acknowledgement of sin. Secondly, another component of repentance is that repentance involves some kind of feeling of remorse. Some sense of regret, grief, sorrow, sadness, disappointment, frustration for rejecting God, for angering God, disobeying God, hurting God, causing God to grieve once again stating the obvious, but in order to change direction, there needs to be some kind of negative emotion about the current direction. So when Brandon and I turn our bikes around, right, what gets us to turn our bikes around is not just someone telling us we're going in the wrong direction, but it's a genuine desire to go in the right direction with a deep sense of disappointment for having gone in the wrong direction. When I was in junior high, uh, my brother, a neighborhood friend, uh, we went trick or treating on Halloween night. Spent about an hour on our own, combing the entire neighborhood, filling up pillowcases of candy. And just as we were headed home and about to call it for a night, a car pulls up about 30 yards in front of us, and two individuals with ski masks and baseball bats get out of the car. My friend sees the two individuals. He begins to feel a sense of worry and anxiety, and he says, I think we need to turn around. I see those two individuals, and I don't feel any worry at all. I'm not nervous, I'm not anxious, so I proceed to walk towards those individuals. We have a cordial conversation, and I'm forced to hand over all my candy. (laughs) See, in order to change direction, something inside of us has to feel something negative about the current direction. Look what God tells Israel moving on, uh, verse 12 to 14. It says, Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the Lord your God. So here Joel mentions the idea of fasting, weeping, and mourning, which were common ways in Old Testament times for them to express grief, sadness, sorrow. And God isn't saying that these are the things you have to do to get my blessings but rather a repentant heart would feel some kind of remorse that would express itself in some kind of visible, tangible way. So for them, it'd probably be fasting, weeping, and mourning. This past week, there was a video that was kind of floating around social media later, eventually on, on news websites of a basketball game that happened last weekend in Orange County where one high school girl just sucker punches another high school girl, and and knocks her out. And as bad as that punch was, what makes things even worse, or what made it even worse, is that there seemed to be no remorse, no regret from the girl who who punched the other girl. And why this is important, and and we know, is that if there's no remorse, if there's no regret, then chances are it's going to happen again. There's going to be no change, right? And other videos have begun to resurface stories of this girl having done this kind of thing before. Genuine repentance involves genuine remorse, regret. Uh, Lastly, we see the third component when it comes to repentance is repentance involves some kind of effort to change. A change in direction involves some kind of change. That if we genuinely return to God, turn from our ways, there's going to be some visible, tangible shift in attitude, behavior, choices, or decision. After Brandon and I finished mountain biking that day, we we headed back to the car, threw our bikes on the rack, jumped in the car, headed over to the gas station to get some Gatorades, proceeded to get onto the freeway. I swerved all the way to the left side to get into fast track, because that's the fastest way home. We start chit-chatting, and I notice my gas light on. And I have about 10 miles worth of gas left, and we have about 60 miles to go to get home. I begin to panic, because some of you know once you're in fast track, it's not always easy, easy to get out. I'm like kicking myself for having just gone to the gas station to get Gatorades but not gas. (laughs) And I'm thinking, why didn't I I just check earlier? What was I I thinking? So one, there is the the understanding that I cannot stay on the current course or I'm going to run out of gas. And there is the, the negative emotion regarding the idea of running out of gas. So one would expect with both the understanding that I'm headed in the wrong direction, the negative emotion that I'm headed in the wrong direction, that there would be some kind of effort to get off the freeway to go get some gas. So I may or may not have crossed over some solid white lines to get off the freeway and to get some gas. Right now I'm stating what's so obvious here. But a genuine desire to change would express itself in some tangible effort, intentionality, to change. Look what God tells Israel, verses 15 to 17. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room, and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say, among the peoples, where is their God? So what God is telling Israel is that if you genuinely want me. You want a relationship with me. You want me to be your God. You want to, to be my people then there needs to be some kind of desire that expresses itself in a a tangible way. You, You need to show it. And for Israel in that time, kind of a traditional expected common way for them to show their heart for God would be through corporate organized worship. Right. So Joel says, blow the trumpet, declare a fast, call an assembly, gather everyone together with urgency and excitement. Right, he literally says, gather the, the old and the young, the elders and the children. He literally says, pull the babies off their mother's breasts, stop the weddings, cancel the ball games, cancel brunch, drag the night owls out from bed, right, and, and get to church so we can worship God as his people in his presence because that's how. God's people then expressed their desire for God. That was one significant way that they just expressed their heart for God. Another significant way, which we'll look at next week, is to be obedient. right To, to do things that God told them to do and to stop doing the things he told them not to do. But all God is saying to Israel is that if you genuinely want me to be your God, you sincerely want to do life with me, under me, for me, then there's going to be some kind of effort, some kind of intentionality in doing life with me, under me, for me. Now, just to be clear, God isn't saying that it's our effort that merits the blessing. It's the heart. God isn't inviting Israel to to merely try harder. He's inviting them to return to him. Now, for us today, for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, we know that we are fully loved, fully forgiven, fully accepted, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And thus, regardless of how far we fall short, regardless of how many times we, we fail, regardless of how many times we turn away and go astray, Now there's never wrath, there's never judgment, there's never punishment or condemnation because Jesus dealt with it once and for all on the cross. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith and not by works. For those of you who are newer to to CBC, our mission statement is experiencing grace, growing in love. Experiencing grace, growing in love which means a significant component to everything we do is to help us experience God's grace, that we would come to recognize that our, that our relationship with God is not based on rules or laws or obligations, that we're not to be driven by fear, guilt, or shame. And a part of, of understanding that of experiencing that is, that is to help us answer the question, what do we have to do? What do we have to do for God to love us? What do we have to do for God to to really like us? Do we have to, to read our Bibles? Do we have to do our quiet times? Do we have to raise our hands in worship? Do we have to give financially? Do we have to be in a small group, serve in a ministry? Do we have to share our faith? And a significant part of experiencing grace is recognizing no. We don't have to do those things for God to love us. That his favor, his delight in us is not based on what we do, but on what he's done for us. Jesus dying for our sins, rising from the dead, clothing us in his righteousness, giving us his spirit. And thus it's important that we continue to ask the question, what do we have to do so that we are reminded that our relationship with God is all grace. Amber and I have been married for 15 years now. We celebrated our anniversary a few months ago. And she said I was allowed to share this. Uh, But one of the things that I learned pretty early on, one of the things that I've come to appreciate, that I'm grateful for, that I pray, that I I don't take advantage of, is that when it comes to happiness, Amber's pretty low-maintenance. In other words, there's not a, a whole lot of things that I have to do uh, to make her happy. She's, she's content with small things and you know, what we have, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, just the other night, um, the girls were doing homework. I was reading, and Amber was on the couch watching The Voice, and she was having a viewing party all by herself. She's, like, cheering and dancing and singing, and she's talking to the judges, Blake and Ariana and Kelly, and she's like, no, yeah, steal, 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 steal. <laughs> and I remember glancing over and just watching her so happy, you know, in our patio, watching the voice, and I just thought, you know, it doesn't take a lot to make her happy. But I think all of us know That in any relationship, any meaningful, significant relationship, it's not just about what we have to do, although that's important. It's also about what we want to do. The only question I'm asking is, what do I have to do to make her happy? Then I'm kind of missing the point of the relationship. Do I I want to get to know her more? Do I want to love her more? Do I want to serve her more, to to bless her more? And and the same is true with God. See, the question we also need to ask ourselves is, what do I want to do? Do I want to, to know his word? Do I want to hear his voice? Do I want to experience his presence? Do I want to discover his will? Do I want to live according to his way? Do I want to give sacrificially? Do I want to worship passionately? Do I want to serve him, share about him? Now, just to, to be clear, we don't have to want these things. But what do our wants say about our heart? What does the culmination, the sum total of all our wants, say about what we ultimately want? Because if we ever find ourselves not really wanting any of those things, then we do have to ask, well, how much do we really want God? What kind of relationship do we really want to have with him? And as harsh and as maybe dramatic as that may sound, that's in essence the question that God is asking Israel. Do you want me? Because up until now, your answer has been a clear no. But if you do, want me to be your God and you want to be my people and you want to do life with me and under me and for me then at any time you can come back you can return to me and if you do and when you do you will see the depths of my goodness you will know the riches of my grace my mercy you will be overwhelmed by my presence overflowing in my blessings. And this is the same invitation that God extends to each and every one of us today. For those of us who, who, who don't know Jesus, who don't know Him in a real personal way, this is an invitation to get to know Him, to perhaps grow to, to trust Him. For those of us who do know Jesus, who have placed our trust in Him, this is an invitation to get to know Him more, to grow even closer to trust Him more, to love Him more, enjoy Him more, serve Him more, bless Him more. And regardless of where we are, regardless of how far we might have gone astray, at any point we can return to Him. And if we do and when we do, we will begin to, to see the depths of His goodness, the riches of His grace and mercy, overwhelmed by His presence, overflowing in His blessings. So as we close our, our time this morning, as we move back into a time of worship, reflection, let us invite the Spirit to continue speaking. To help us to, to see our heart. To perhaps see the areas in our life where, where things are good, when we're headed on the path towards God. And maybe perhaps the other areas in our life where we are perhaps keeping our distance, on a path, moving away. And as we consider who God is, as we consider the invitation that he extends, let us respond. With, with honesty, with sincerity, and genuineness. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you. And we recognize and are in awe of just the grace, the patience, the mercy that you extend to each and every one of us. And as we consider just where we are, where we've been, where we're headed, I pray that you would speak to to each one of us. You would help us to see what we really want, who we really want. And as we consider who you are, as we consider all that you have done, as we consider all that you promise and invite us to receive, that you would help us to respond. That you would help us to to respond with a a genuine desire for you. For remorse, for regret, for grief, for sorrow, for for all the ways we've turned from you. All the ways we take you for granted. All the ways we we fail to, to honor you and glorify you for who you are so we give you this time we give you the space we give you our hearts in Jesus name amen